Well, it's uh, good to see you all, and uh, just wondering if there's anybody here that's excited about your kids going back to school. Anybody jazzed about that? We can have a Pentecostal moment for a second. Praise the Lord, right? It's a very exciting time. Hallelujah, whatever it is. Uh, well, we're as a, a family, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, my little family. We have three uh, junior hires, and so uh, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And so it's kind of fun to see them uh, going off to school. And I joke about it, but it's kind of a progression this summer. We noticed is uh, as my wife and I were debriefing a little bit of the summertime. We're like, you know, it started strong. Started good, you know, like they're, everybody was ex- excited to be off for the summer, they enjoyed each other, all this, but as the summer progressed, like the nerve level and irritability level and the like petty fighting stuff, anybody else notice that meter go up like drastically as the summer uh, goes on? And what we came to the conclusion is like, you know what they were missing? They were missing structure. They were missing purpose. There was too much Netflix. There was too much Fortnite. Like there was too, like it all went down as the summer progressed. And I was thinking, I was like, man, as it went on, they just got kind of cranky. You know, we're like, all right, time to go back to school. And I was thinking about that as it relates to like, are, are we just bagging on kids this morning? Or are we glad we came to church? But here's what we were thinking. And the reason I bring that up is because I conclude the same thing for adults. When we don't have a clear calling, a clear purpose, when there's not something in our day that's a, a call for our life and a, and, a, and a goal and something we're getting after and a, a purpose, all of a sudden we slip into the exact same thing. We slip into anxiety. We slip into irritability. We slip into, oh, uh, you, you fill in the blank, whatever, depression. We slip into uh, crankiness. Whatever it is, what happens is when we don't have a, a clear call as to where we're going and what we're supposed to be about, and it, we, we drift quick. We drift really quick. So this morning, I want to talk about that because I believe that we all have a call greater than that. When we're kind of wallowing in the what am I doing here moments, God's reminding us, no, you've been invited to a life of influence, a life of impact, a life of, of changing the world in which you've been placed. And as soon as we get off base from that, all of a sudden we slip into the stinking thinking that comes on the other side of that. This has always been his plan, a life of influence. All the way back to the Israelites, his design was even for the, the nation of Israel. Israel was supposed to be a, a light to all the, the nations around them, pointing to the one true living God. They got off track with that. With us, New Testament, we are designed to be a, a light pointing people to the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And so often, unfortunately, we get off track with that. Well, this morning, our text, our parable, if you will, points us back to that initial call, a life of influence. Let me pray before we explore it. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to be together, to study your word, the call that you have to purpose, to meaning, to significance I believe, is found in this little couple verses here that we're studying this morning. We ask that you would speak to us. This wouldn't be for the person down the road. This would be for us directly, God, that you would meet us like only you can. We invite that now on in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
So Matthew chapter 5 we're in uh, this morning. If you wouldn't mind turning your Bibles there. If you don't own one, you can grab one from the seat in front of you. If you literally don't own one, take that home with you today. Or flip with me in your phone. Whatever it is, we're in Matthew chapter 5. And uh, this chapter, if you look at the heading of it at the beginning of the section, what is this chapter entitled? Anybody can tell me that? No. Sermon on the Mount, but good try. No, this, uh, the chapter, sorry, sorry. The section is salt and light. Uh, she's in our life group, so I can tease her. Uh, but uh, but uh, this idea is all coming under the umbrella of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is one of the, the most noted sermons in all of Jesus' ministry. I, I love how John MacArthur describes it. He says, this was the greatest preacher that ever lived preaching the greatest sermon ever preached. That was the description of this sermon because really this is our story is found kind of smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. I had the privilege in January of this last year with Adrian to be in Israel. So fun to actually sit on the Mount of Olives and kind of look and kind of be in the exact same space and be like, oh, this is where the crowd had gathered to hear Jesus. And, and what Jesus was bringing to light, he was explaining to, the, explaining to them what the kingdom that he wanted to bring to existence here on earth what it was going to look like. And it didn't come the way people expected. It started from the inside out. It rippled from the inside out. I have a friend back in Chicago. His name's uh, Doug and uh, he has a, a house that he bought. And the house that he bought, he knew upon buying it that it happened to be in a, in a flood zone. And now in this area, that's not really a thing. But in, the, that, uh, in that space around there, they're uh, very big into kind of finished basements. And so he bought this house and he knew when he bought it, he's like, oh, I got to be aware of that. So when he first put it in, the first phase was to put in a, a pump system. Maybe you guys have been in a house like that. It kind of, when the water level gets to a certain degree, pumps the water out. One day, though, he was burned because the power went out in his whole neighborhood right at the same time they're having rain. And so he came home to like three feet of water in his basement. I don't know if you've ever done that. We've done that in the Midwest. Not fun. But he said, you know what? I'm going I'm to take care of this. So he, he put into place this whole elaborate gas-powered system that when the electricity kicked off, this kicked on. And he, he started doing the, I started doing the math with him. I'm like, how much did you spend on that system? He's like, my basement is not going down again. Like, we're going to save this thing. And it did. He was able from then on to actually live in a, in a dry situation. I was thinking about that. He had to start by thinking as, what's going on on the inside first if you want to protect the outside? If you want to have any kind of a healthy, vibrant life, it always starts from the inside out. Jesus starts with the first section, the first 12 verses in this chapter with a group called the Beatitudes, if you've ever heard that before. Basically, all of these attitudes related to our character, who we're becoming when Jesus Christ sets up camp, his Holy Spirit does a work in us, it starts to shape us. You can read that on your, in your own quiet time, talking about being poor in spirit, meek, hungry for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, all these descriptions of character set the table for what? What's our topic this morning? A life of influence. You see, when we're changed, transformed from the inside out, all of a sudden that's expected then to ripple interactions. Verse 13, you talking to a believer are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, 
How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Love how subtle Jesus is in his teaching, you know, just, you know, just, you know, just not trying to be, step on any toes or anything. But here's the first thing. He starts with this statement. You are the salt of the earth. The thing that I find fascinating is that's an identity statement. So he starts with identity before behavior. You have to understand it's not a suggestion or a command. He says, you are the salt. Now, typically today, present day, that wouldn't be like a compliment, man. You go up and you're like, hey, man, you are salt. Like, like salty is usually associated with more like negative. But salt back then, that was a huge compliment. Let me explain why. It was a precious commodity. The whole culture surrounded, went around salt, not just for a, a, a one reason, but for a number of reasons we'll talk about in a second. In fact, a lot of times they even paid somebody in wages. Instead of wages, they would pay them in salt. Can you imagine if your next paycheck, you're like, sorry, we ran out of cash, but we have some salt for you. But in that day and age, that was when somebody would have the expression, if somebody did a lousy day job working, they'd say, not worth his salt. That's where we get that expression from. They paid in the form of salt because salt was an elevated commodity for lots of different reasons. Some of the common ones and the parallels that we can take for this passage that he's designed us for to be salt. One thing it was known for was its purity. You can think about that as a, if you're going to be salty in this world, you're intended to be pure and set apart is the design of purity. The other one of salt is described as when we cook is it adds taste, right? We're intended to add taste in the world that we've been placed in, to, to draw people to the gospel of Jesus Christ because, man, there's something different about it. So you could say taste. You could say purity. And another uh, reason that they used salt in that day and age was also for its healing uh, capabilities. And you think about that now, you're like, oh, would you ever rub salt like in a wound? That's actually what you'd say, like that would be the last thing. But it actually does have healing properties. And it was used in that day and age to actually restore an injury or whatever. So you can think about that. Let parallel for us present day. You can be like, yeah, you're a healing agent in the world. All of those are appropriate analogies. But the biggest reason out of anything, the reason they had salt was this. It wasn't for any of those things, although they were side things. The main reason was to preserve something. In that day and age, what did they lack? Refrigerators. No refrigerators, no ability to keep something. And men need to have their... Nice. That's right. Their meat. That's right. Thank you, Arby's. We have it. And... Uh, the idea is that salt would allow meat to last way longer. If you just have a, if you leave a, a steak sitting out on the, the counter, how long does that last? Maybe an afternoon, probably not a second day. The second day is changing colors, starts to get those colorful swirls in it. You're like, eh, I don't know. I still eat it. But uh, anyway, the, but the, this idea in that day and age, you had to rub it in salt and that preserved it. And that's the same picture of what he's calling us to. He's saying, you're the salt. You're the preserving agent in this world. A preserving agent for a, a, a world that's destined or drawn to what? Decay, to breaking down. Absent of the believer, absent of the, the Christ follower, imposing influence in the world around him. Man, this world is headed down really, really quickly. 
I really enjoy a pastor by the name of Tony Evans. I don't know if you've ever heard him preach. A big black pastor. He's got the best illustrations, best voice ever. And this is what he says. He says, the absence of righteousness in a culture is the absence of God's people penetrating it. The absence of, uh, of righteousness is because oh, we're not really doing a great job of penetrating and working ourselves into the culture, into the different arenas that we've been entrusted to. That's when the culture begins to decay. And so when we're confused about why is this world really seem like it's going to heck in a handbasket, the reason is ah, maybe we need to do a better job of penetrating it and influencing it, and changing it. And one of the reasons why we don't do it, he points to it in the text, why we don't penetrate it with our actions, the first one I would suggest, is that there's no real difference in our actions. When we're the same as the world around us, we've what? We've lost our saltiness. We've lost our saltiness. When there's no, when somebody sees your life and it completely mirrors everybody else's life, they're like, that's not salty at all. You're no longer an influence of change. That day and age, they typically would gather most of their salt actually surrounding the, the Dead Sea. There was the, the hills and mountains there just packed with this stuff. But they'd realize when they would gather up salt, if it had been polluted by different minerals or chemicals, especially this one called gypsum, all of a sudden the salt would all of a sudden be like, hey, it's not really worth anything. So what would they do with it? They wouldn't throw it in their garden because that would kill all their plants. They'd literally just throw it on a path to be walked on and worked back into the soil. It'd really be a, a, a quite a, an insult if you were to tell somebody, you know what, you just, you're, you're not really much use. You just need to be kind of worked back into the soil. That's what he's saying to the believer that's no longer salty. Uh, I mean, as much as we don't like to hear some of these harsh words in Scripture, Jesus isn't exactly subtle or gentle about it. He's like, you know what, you're basically worthless as far as influence, once you're no longer separate and set apart from this culture, you're, 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 there, there's nothing different about you. There's never, nothing different about the, your thinking patterns, your speech, the, the way your, your depression levels, your anxiety, your, your marital, the place you are in marriages. When none of those are different, man, why is the world going to take notice of us? You say, man, don't, don't be that guy that loses his saltiness, that lady. Second reason we don't penetrate with our actions is that we live, you see it there on the screen, live in a separate camp. What do I mean by that? One of the things God designed for us is for us to, to create exactly what we're trying to here in this church is a counterculture, a, a, a culture of uh, where, where believers come together in a place of, of refuge where we find uh, relationship and where we find uh, hospitality, when we find care, when we find all those things. He wants us to create that. But at the same time that we create that, we're not intended to be a separate camp living independent from the world. We're supposed to create that, but also at the same time, infiltrate the world in which we live. Broke my heart just talking to a friend of mine that's heavily involved in the, the media world, and he gets a, a lot of slack because he's had a couple shows that he's been involved with that he's talked to, and he's like, yeah, I can't necessarily endorse every part of the, that show. He's like, you know what, the, to be honest with you, there's a lot of things that, I would, that are, are actually directly against it. But he says, but people don't understand 
If I wasn't a part of that show, you can't imagine what direction that show would have gone. You can't imagine the depths that that would have gone to. And that show allowed for other shows where I got to have even more influence. See, I don't believe that we're necessarily, I believe there is a time that you're like, okay, we're done with this. But I don't believe that we're intended to boycott everything. Can you imagine that, like, how dangerous that is if we walked away from every different field in which God isn't, isn't fully uh, the one on, on the throne? Can you imagine if we left the education departments, if we left politics, if we left entertainment, if we left medical field, media field? God's design is not for us to have this exclusive camp that we're kind of a holy huddle. He says, yes, create a separate culture to invite people into, but that doesn't mean that you completely walk away. And that's what I would suggest happened with the Israelites. They made that mistake, not intended to be set completely separate, but penetrate the culture in the world that we're placed. So that's part of being salt is penetrating to rescue, to preserve, to restore. Second analogy that he gives, verse 14, says, you are the, read it for me, Light of the world, a city set on a hill, cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. To all in the house. So the second analogy is light, right? We're catching that. That's the picture that he has. I find it fascinating because he says this in another identity statement. You are the light of the world. Not like you should, you should shine some light in the world. He's saying, no, that, that's actually who you are. Your very nature is that. But then here's the beast that's a little bit confusing, if I'm honest with me. Oh, you find in, in John 8, 12, Jesus is talking, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world, talking about himself. So you're like, well, which one is it? Is he the light or am I the light? What, how, how does that work together? Here's the reason why it can, they can coexist together is I'll, I'll give an example. The moon. In fact, tell your neighbor, you're the moon. This is going to get awkward for a second. You're the moon. You're the, the moon is this. The moon, some people find uh, great joy in that. And, uh, but the moon is this. What I love about the moon, especially this time of the year, beautiful. If you've noticed in the last couple of weeks, just right on the horizon, huge, and it's just glowing, is the moon giving off any of its own light. None. It's strictly dependent on how it's perfectly aligned to what? Project the light of the sun, right? Do you see the analogy there? Do you see? We're, we're designed to reflect. Be like, ooh, yeah, ah, moon. Uh, but here, the, the design that God's heart is, yes, he's the source of the light, but we're designed to be the perfect reflectors of the light to the world around us. He's designed it. So if you think about it, it's his one game plan. Other than creation, guess what's his plan for shining the light of, the, of himself into the world? You are, you are, you are, you are, you are. You're the plan. You're the plan for him to shine his light into the world. He points out two useless things. Tasteless salt, covered light. Basically, if we're not shining his light into the world, he's saying, really, there's no real purpose for you. And we feel that. Let's be honest. We feel that. 
When we're not shining as light, we're kind of like, what am I doing here? What's the purpose? Why am I here? Why do I exist? That's, the, that, that's us feeling the weight of not being aligned, reflecting the sun. I jotted down a couple reasons why we hide our light. We've maybe talked about some of these prior. The first one I think is the, one of the biggest culprits is fear of offense. We're in a culture that's so committed to non-offense. Like we're so careful not to offend anyone. Well, most of us, some of us are. But this is the idea of elevating potential offense, elevating potential offense over eternal things, people, eternities, where they're going to spend eternity. One of the reasons that we hide our light, we don't want to offend. Another reason that if we're real with ourselves, that we don't hide, that we do hide our light, it's kind of indifference kind of slipped into that selfish existence. It's all about me and my preferences. And we get into that. And I don't really feel like it. That's awkward. That's uncomfortable. You see, you see that that's leads to the next one is unfaithfulness, stubborn disobedience. I just, I just don't want to. I just don't care enough to do anything. I don't care to have an influence. Here's the one that's probably the scariest reason why I believe so many don't reflect a light into the world around them is they're not connected to the light. They're not connected to the light. If they're really honest in their heart of hearts, they're like, I don't really have a relationship. I, I, I don't have a connection point. I'm, a, I'm not interacting with them in my day. I'm not connected to the, the vine whatsoever. Why would you expect to reflect him if there's no connection to him? So for us, that's maybe some of us this morning, that was the one nudge that's needed. You gotta, you gotta figure out how to get better connected with him. He's there waiting with open arms, just wanting relationships so desperate with us. It has to start there. So why don't we shine the light? Some of the reasons for sure you could probably add to the list. Where, where salt is intended to be something more subtle behind the scenes, light's like in your face. The intention of light is for it to break through. There's a boldness that's attached to that. It's more less about the and most likely a little bit more about the speaking and talking and the intent of our, our boldness in breaking through is a simple word. It's called rescue. I don't know if anybody spends time on Facebook like I do and there's a number of different videos I get drawn to. One of the ones that I really, ones I really like are the animal rescue ones. I'll just confess that. Like anybody else like to watch something? There's one with this dog that's down in this waterway and there's like this chain of humans holding hands and saving this. You've seen that one. I looked at that. It had like 17.9 million hits. You're like, what in the world? There's a, there's a turtle with a straw through his nose and it was one of your straws and they're rescuing it and pulling it out and everybody's like, oh, we rescued the whale, the turtle, the dog, the, the cat, the squirrel that's got stuck between the fence. You know, anyway, we won't go there. But, uh, but you, uh, you get the idea, all these different things, all these different things. We, we celebrate rescue of animals, but do we make a big deal about the potential of rescuing a human life? A human life. Eternity headed to, to separation from God for eternal, eternal punishment. We don't like to talk about that idea. But that's when you're talking about a light. You're intended to be that rescue. Now, don't get me wrong. There's sometimes the, the light is, is not always the gospel. I love sometimes the light is just bringing truth to a situation. I saw again on Facebook. You can tell where I spend my time. Uh, I saw again on Facebook a group of ladies from our church that were sitting in this council meeting in Thousand Oaks. 
And they're, they're discussing this new curriculum that's kind of going into our school system and saying how insane it is. Like we need to be that light as well. But the ultimate light is what? The light of rescue. That's what he calls us to, what he invites us to. Talk about all of a sudden changing the, the, the monotony of your day. They're like, oh, what am I doing? I'm just stuck doing this role. It feels like, but all of a sudden when you introduce, you infuse that with, with influence and impact and changed eternities, it drastically changes what your day looks like. Last section, verse 16, last verse we'll look at as he finishes this thought. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine. You notice again, we're not the, the start or the source of the light. He's just saying, let it happen. It's already there. We just want to get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit who comes in everybody's life. If you've embraced Jesus Christ, if there's ever a time that you've been a knee and embraced him as Lord and Savior, he came and set up camp inside of you. Now our job is just get out of the way so that his light can come through you. Don't, don't, don't have any obstruction, as little of gunk in the way as possible. I don't know if I'm going to offend anybody in here with this next statement, but I really hate essential oils. Anybody else want to confess to that for a second? Like that, that's, that's the trend. As I get older, I'm just way more and more uh, sensitive to smells, but it's become the thing. Everybody has these, sorry, if I, if I go to your house, feel free to leave it going. I'm used to it. But here's what I've noticed is everybody has these little tube shaped things. They drop, oh look, I'll just add some essential oils in it. And it, it permeates the room. My chiropractor, in the last couple months, th this last year, he added one in the office, you know, because it's the thing to do, the essential oils. I I'm, I'm stepping on toes. I realize this. I realize this. Uh, he thought it. And now, when I go in the office, I can't get away from it. I'm sitting on the far side of his office complex, down the hall, as far away as I can get to this thing. I keep looking. I'm like, man, I can't hide from it. It's everywhere. It's in every bit of the air that I suck in these essential oils. Like it's, it's crazy. You, you can see where I'm going with this is we were intended to be that in the world around us. You're an essential oil. You're an essential oil. You're like, tell me, Scott, where do you see that in scripture? Second Corinthians 2.15, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. We're aroma. We're intended. You're designed to be that. Like, what is that smell? Where is it coming from? There's something different about this person. They're drawn to it. And hopefully, not like, get me out of here. Hopefully, whoa, where's that coming from? What's the source of that? What's the source of that odor that I can't get out of my nose? What's the source of that? That's the design. God say, we're supposed to be that source. And then you go back and say, oh, it's from him. He's the source of it. The design of our lives was intended that people, what? Give glory to God. Praise God. He's changing somebody from the inside out. They can't even, he's, he's changing them to such a degree, they can't even help it anymore. It's just oozing out of them. That's his design. You see it there in the text. He says, they'll see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, giving honor and praise to him. That's God's design for us, to be salt, 
to be light in a world that so desperately needs it. So my question to us, just as we're wrapping up, it's my question to us, have we lost our saltiness? Have we lost our saltiness? Have we, have we gotten so aligned with the world that nobody really notices any kind of difference in us anymore? Have we created our own separate camp, us versus them? Or, or, or are we permeating culture? Are we the light that's breaking through to rescue? Do some self-reflection on that as I pray in closing. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the scripture and the invitation that it is to influence. And on the other side of that, the invitation that it is of a fulfilled life. God, my prayer is that this wouldn't be a sermon of guilt, but it'd be a sermon of possibility, what it could look like if we were the source of hope, the source of redirection. God, we know that we're dependent on this for you, God. We know that you have to nudge us, you have to push us, you have to drag us along for us to get this right. And we ask that now. We invite that for your Holy Spirit to do that work that only you can do. Pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.